You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, good morning. Well, welcome to the place that MCC calls home. It's so good to see you here today, those of you that I know and the many of you that are new to MCC. I sure want to get to know you. If we haven't shaken hands this morning or looked each other in the eye, I'd love to know your name today before you leave so I can recognize you in the weeks ahead when you come back. Well, grab your Bible and turn with me to the New Testament book of Philippians. It's actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the early church. And as we continue this series, full disclosure, he uses a word in this passage that that strikes a chord with me, and it's an important word, and that is confidence. Confidence, and I want us to look at that and what that means today to our lives. As David said, on behalf of Pam and Kelsey, Kaylee, Jamie, and their families, you guys have been spectacular this week in the way that you've reached out to each one of them and the way that you've come alongside of them. Each one of us has our memories of Paul and the influence that he's had on us. And this coming Friday at 7 o'clock, we're going to gather right here for his celebration of life. There'll be a time for you to visit with the family from 12 to 7. And an overwhelming number of you have, have come out and said, hey, we want to provide food. We want to be here to serve. And so Cindy Allman will be reaching out to each one of you this week. And, and if for some reason you don't get a call or you don't get asked to do something, just know it's because we've had so many, so many and your name and so forth will be passed on to Pam and the family to let them know of your deep concern. But I, I do want to share an idea with you, and I hope that you'll accept this uh, in the way that I intend to relay it to you. Uh, I, I don't know about you guys, but flowers are such a waste at a time like this. Uh, family doesn't desire flowers, so so let's hold off on the flowers. It's nice to have a couple, and we'll make sure there's a couple nice flowers up here. But what's more important, and I think a better way for us to encourage a family, is to take that money that we would have spent on flowers and just let them use it. Just let them use it to take care of five years' worth of medical expenses and those types of things that come along. They're, they're not asking for money, but if you're going to throw it out there anyway, then you might as well let them put it to good use. So I, I encourage you to do that. There'll be a box uh, in this room or, or in the lobby there as you come in Friday, and you can just make uh, those uh, gifts uh, for them there. Or you can see me after the service, and I'll help you facilitate that. Well, Paul begins his letter, this book of the Philippians in chapter 1, this way. And, and, I, and I want you to hear this. I hope you've heard it from me this morning as we've talked just a little bit already about what you mean to me and what you mean to each other as a church family. Listen to what Paul says about this church in Philippi. He says, I thank my God every time I think of you. I, I hope I hope that when you think about your church family here at Memphis throughout the week, uh, when you've moved on to another community and, and you have to find another church, I hope that you look back on your time here and you can say that same thing, God, thank you for giving me a church. Thank you for giving me a family. Thank you for giving me people to sojourn with through this life here on earth. And then he goes on and he says, in all my prayers for you, folks, pray for each other. Pray for the church. Pray for those who are coming. 
In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of this partnership we share. It's more than just gathering on the weekend. It's a, it's a partnership, an investment. And listen, he says, I'm confident of this, that God who began a good work in you, God began his work in you at creation, but more so when you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ in baptism, as another young lady did last night right here in this room, God will continue his work in you. He will continue to sanctify you. He will continue to transform you. He will continue to take the stuff from the past, the pig squeals of the past, and the great things that you experienced. He'll take all of that and he will finish it. He will finish you the day that you stand before him in glory. I want you to listen. I want you to circle those words, thankful, joyful, complete, confident. All words that Paul uses to describe his personal relationship with Jesus Christ and our relationship with him in the church today. So tell me, how confident are you in that regard? Well, we've been talking about our purpose. We've been fully disclosing these things about our life that God wants to see fruitful in our lives. How confident are you right now in this purpose, this identity, this freedom that you found in Jesus Christ? Those of you who are Christians, this is who Paul is writing to. How confident are you in your relationship with him? And where and what is the foundation of that confidence? Now, this is the subject that Paul takes up in chapter 3. He begins with this sobering warning. He says, beware of placing your confidence in anything or anyone other than Christ. Now, we're going to talk about the baseline of our human confidence as being in our relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the foundation. But that foundation is on which we build our confidence in every facet, in every aspect of our life here on this planet. And Jesus Christ and his eternal offer of salvation for our sins is to be the foundation of it all. It begins and ends with him and what he's done for us in a relationship with God. And so in some of the strongest language, in fact, language that sounds like he's talking to a room full of mother-in-laws, right? He says, watch out for those dogs. Oh, you all are chickens. <laughs> watch out for those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. What's he talking about? For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ and who put no confidence in the flesh. Now, there are two types of confidence, just broad categories right here of confidence, right? There's self-confidence, and you hear a lot about that today. In, in fact, you, all you've got to do, right, is just take this, take, take this shot, take this pill, and you're gonna, you can be confident that you're, you're okay, at least until next week when we tell you you need something else, right? There's that confidence that we have in our, in our abilities. I, I said last night, when you go up for a free throw and somebody blocks you and somebody pulled me over the side last night and said, you don't know anything about sports, do you? I said, absolutely not. <laughs> right? 
you don't go up for a flea throw and somebody blocks you, right? You, you go up for a, a field goal, a layup, right? A layup, right? You go up for a layup. And, and, and let's say that you are a really, really, you're an animal of a basketball player. And, and so you go up there for that layup and you've done it a hundred times, but this one time, this little scrawny guy just knocks you back on, your, on the floor. It, then your confidence, it, it's gone if, you've, if you put it in your ability to do, to perform on the basketball court. Well, what happens if you're a pastor? What, what happens if you're a pastor and, and your notes get out of order like they did for me last weekend? I've had a dozen people say, did you make sure your notes are in order this weekend? <laughs> but, but you get up here and you lock up your 52-year-old COVID. You know, I was in the hospital with COVID last year. It's messed me up. I, I can't keep a train of thought. What was I talking about? <laughs> what happens, right? What happens when you mess up like that? Your confidence is gone unless, unless it's in Jesus Christ. You know, there, there are so many things vying for our confidence today, right? Hold your head high, they say. Know your stuff, and you can be confident. Build a diversified portfolio, right? And you can be confident about your investments. You can be confident about your retirement. I, I love this one. I, in fact, it makes me want to throw up. But get the Pope to tell you that you're a good Catholic even though you act in direct opposition to God's commands on the sanctity of life. You talk about false confidence. That's pitiful. A quick Google search reveals the top three ways to trick yourself into feeling confident. I love this. Wear something that makes you feel good. <laughs> Practice different breathing patterns. I feel confident already. <laughs> Think about the days that you did feel confident. Well, the church at Philippi was being influenced in, in a similar way. It seems so silly to us today. This idea of circumcision, it's a medical term today. It's a medical procedure that, that's performed on most, most male children. But here, there was a group, this is after Christ has come and established that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And here's a group that's going around and they're saying, you really don't have any confidence in your relationship with God unless you're circumcised. Come here, I've got a flint knife right here waiting for you. Really? Really, when circumcision, what it was all about from the very beginning, it was just an outward symbol of an inward transformation. It was the reality that those early followers of God were his. They were committed. Their confidence were found in him. And while Paul immediately dismisses this teaching of this group called the Judaizers as false, he goes on to use his own life before Christ to illustrate the point. See there in verses 4, 5, and 6, if it's not familiar to some of you. You can follow along. I'm going I'm to make it simple for us here. He, he says, I've been a church member all my life. Been a church member all my life. I'll always remember. This just came to mind. This is dangerous, but it just came to mind. I'll always remember one of the first groups, they call, used to call them committees, Right? Committees, yeah, on a committee. I was on a committee when I was 13 years old. 
and it was the grounds, building grounds committee. And old Harvey Smith, Harvey, he was a rough old cob. And uh, he, he'd been a Christian, been in that church all of his life. And I remember the discussion that ensued for the next hour as he talked about changing the lock on the basement door to the church because that doggone preacher kept coming over and borrowing the church's push mower, right? And he even used profanity to describe his disgust with that. Listen, you can be a church member all your life, Paul says. So what? Where's the heart change? Where's the real relationship. I was born a Jew. I was raised a Jew. So what? I grew up in a Christian home. I followed the religious code. I took every Bible study I could take. I received a theology degree with honors. Everyone agreed. He said, I was a model citizen. I lived a pure life. I served on boards and committees. I aggressively took a stand to protect what I believed was right. My parents saw to it I was circumcised on the eighth day. I followed every letter of the law. I was flawless. What's your list? <laughs> What's your list? You know, you've got one. The, the things that you do, the things that you say, the disciplines that you've put into place that, that makes you a good person, that makes you a good Christian if you grew up in Bill Stone's age, you've got the list of attendance pins from Sunday school class. It's a mile long. Years ago, when my oldest Olivia was just a few years old, she loved to swing. And in the summertime, we'd go out and play on the playground that I built for her. And when cold weather came, we moved indoors because she loved to swing hours at a time. And so I do what any good dad would do, right? I go down to the basement, I put some of the heaviest eye bolts I could find, I secured them to the ceiling joists, the, the floor joists above us. I fortified those joists with extra building materials. And then I bought a good swing, a solid swing, one that would hold me. And then I went and bought the connectors, right, to connect the chain to those eye bolts. And I went overboard. I got the biggest connectors I could get, each one of them capable of holding 200 pounds. So 400 pounds of strength for this little 20-pound girl. And boy, we love, she love. I wish you could hear what she's singing and saying. But we love to swing together until the day that that 250-pound connector broke. And the next thing I know, she's in my arms crying. Paul says in verse 7, I have this list, these things that I put my confidence in. And he holds it up against the confidence that now he has through his faith in Christ Jesus. And he says in verse 7, all of my accomplishments, all of my pursuits toward living the right way, I missed what mattered most. I put my confidence in myself, the things that I could do. I put my confidence in myself instead of engaging the one who gave his life for me. In fact, Paul looks at his list and he calls it rubbish. And there are a lot of great things on that list. Don't misunderstand me. If you are a Christian, if you are a Christ follower, yes, you are going to be found here. You're going to be found here every opportunity. You're going to give up certain things that the world does on the weekends so that you can be present to worship 
him. You're not going to sit at home and watch it online because it's convenient for you. You're going to get up and you're going to make the effort to be in his presence with his people, right? No? Paul looks at his list, though, and he calls it rubbish, not because the things are bad, but because he knows there's only one secure link that will connect him with God and eternity. There's only one person that can save him, and it's not Paul, it's Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in no other name under heaven given to men. And again, I've got to tell you, as I have with each message in this series, it has started in my home long before it makes it into this room or onto this podcast. I have made sure that my girls understand this, that their confidence is to be based in the truth of who God is. They're both beautiful girls, but that should not be the basis of their confidence. How many friends they have on social media has nothing to do with how confident they should be. Their ability and the type of career that they have should have nothing to do with the confidence that they have. Their confidence is to come through Christ alone, that he loved them enough that he gave his life for them. And so anything that they do that points to him, that brings glory to him, well, good for them. It's the most important thing that they can do. Every other thing, listen, that we place our confidence in will prove itself weak. Every other thing. And you adults, you know this. You know this as well as I do that every other thing we place confidence in will eventually prove itself weak. But confidence in Jesus Christ will never, it'll never fail us. And until we accept and live in this truth, we aren't really going to be confident in any other aspect of our life. I want you to just, just take a quick inventory of your marriage. If it weren't for your confidence in Jesus Christ, that he'd provide a way that, that his model for what marriage should be is what you're following. You can have great confidence in your marriage. Otherwise, you're going to be doubting every day. Can I trust them? What, what are they doing? Oh, that was so mean. I, I give so much. He never gives back to me. That, that's totally opposite of God's plan for your marriage. Your relationship as parents and children, you aren't really going to be confident unless you have placed your confidence in God through Jesus Christ and his plan for that relationship. It's, it's always going to be different. It's always going to be distance. There's always going to be a disconnect, a, a disappointment. As an employee or as an employer, your confidence as a pastor. My goodness, there's so many reasons to not be confident. So many. But yet there has to be something beyond ourselves that we look to, and it's God. It's how Paul began this section of his letter in verse 1 there, chapter 3. He says, I don't mind writing it over and over again. I'll write it. I'll say it. I'll tell you as many times as I need to because this is key. You rejoice in the Lord. You rejoice in him. 
It's in him that you get your strength. It's in him that you get your hope. It's in him that you found salvation. You be confident in him. And then in verse 10, Paul speaks very plainly and firmly about his confidence in Jesus Christ and discloses our next step in our relationship with him. And this is his challenge. Engage Christ full on. You've heard me use that word a lot. What's that mean? That means just like you do for your coach at school or your boss at work. When they say, I want you to lean in and I want you to go after this. You know what that means. That means every ounce of energy, every ounce of strength, every decision that you make is going to go back and you're going to weigh it against that choice. Engage Christ full on, and he says, you will grow in confidence. Verse 10, I want to know Christ, Paul says. I want to know the power of his resurrection, and I want to know what it's like to share in his sufferings, becoming more like him in his death, so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. I want to break this down into three simple pieces. The first is this. Seek to know Christ. That sounds so simple, and it is. Seek to know Christ is what Paul's saying. Paul tells us that it is his goal in life to know Christ. And he's not just talking about knowing Christ in the sense of knowing how many years the Christ ministry lasted on this earth, knowing how old Christ was when he went to the temple and his parents went off and forgot him and came back and, and found him there teaching. Those are all great things to know. It's great to know the culture, and it's great to know the landscape that all of this went in. It's great to go to the Holy Land and, and walk in the foot. It's great to know all of those things, but Paul's talking about so much more. Paul's talking about engaging the power of God's Spirit living inside of him, a power so great that it resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead. He wants that power surging in his body, and the only way to feel that is to align himself with God and what he desires for him, to trust God, to lean into him when the rubber hits the road. He wanted God's spirit to guide him and lead him and be the overriding authority in his life over what he said, how he reacted, what he would do. He wanted to be one with Christ. A friend of mine posed the question. I, I've since heard it asked two or three times just since I mentioned it last night. How do you know if it is God speaking to you? Right? This idea comes into your mind. I, I told the elders this last weekend when we met, above and beyond, right? We're so excited. I, look, look around you. Last night was packed. There were more people here last night than there are this morning. We need more room again. You're like, oh, no, here we go again. We're talking about money. But you that gave, you that gave five years ago, that made a commitment with me and my family, did God not replenish everything, everything that you committed and gave? I want to talk to you if he did not. I, I sincerely do. And if you feel so strongly about it, I will personally, if I've got enough, I will give you your money back. Because I know better. I know that when we give to God, he always supplies in abundance more back. But, but if you're like me, you've already had God whisper in your ear, right? We haven't had a big campaign. We haven't had any big meetings or fed you guys anything. But God's already whispered in your ear what you need to give. 
He whispered it to me, and I went back to the drawing board. Like, God, now, are you sure? $10 is an awful lot. Say, why do you bring up money? Because this is how we learn to trust God. It was his idea, not mine. He says, you bring the tithe. You bring the first. You give it to me. And above and beyond is just putting that on steroids. You do that, you bring it to me, and you see if I'll not open the floodgates of heaven. You'll see if you'll not need wheelbarrows to carry the blessing out in your life. And for me, that blessing has come back in the form of more resources. The more I give, the more he gives me to give. Because why? He gives us these things for his kingdom, not for us. Now, we get the benefit. I I live on 20% of what he gives me, and I enjoy that. It's a whole lot. So my friend said, how how do I know if it's Christ, if it's Spirit speaking to me? The first thing that we do is we look at God's Word, right? And and does this align with God's Word? And in this case, if it has to do about money, what's God's Word? Do you trust me in this? I'll open the floodgates of heaven, okay? Check, check. So that's a good sign that it's God and it's not the burrito that I ate last night at El Nepal. The second thing that we do is we think about God's character. Is this out of character with the God of the Bible? Because sometimes there's not just that direct answer, right? You have a very specific thing, you look it up, and it's like it's not there. Well, what's God's character in regard to that? And if you can't get there from that, or if you're just confused as to whether it's your voice or his, and both of those things check off, right? I shared this idea. Well, you know, as you live in Christ, as you follow him, as you trust him, as you lean into him, the thoughts that you have are going to sometimes be the same thoughts that he has, that his spirit has. And you're not going to always be able to differentiate between the two, and that's a cool thing. When you're finally lined up with him. See, when we want to know Christ, we read his word not like we're cramming for a test, but we read it to align ourselves and our thoughts and our actions with his. It's the deciding factor when it comes to every aspect of our life. When we pray, it's not like we put something out there on somebody's Facebook wall or page for everybody else to see, but we go to him to build a relationship with him, to share our deepest thoughts and and then listen for his insight, discerning what matters most to him. We're asking him constantly to supersede our own nature, that his will would become ours. Paul says, I want to know Christ, and I want to know the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. He's saying, I want to be found in him. I want to be found in him. Well, what in the world does that mean? It means a lot. It means a lot. When you die on this earth, when you take your last breath, which every one of us will, unless Christ returns while we're alive and takes us, calls us up and meets in the cloud with all the believers who've gone before us, right? We we look forward to that. It's going to be really cool. But otherwise, Christ is going to come for you if you are a believer, and he will usher you right into God's presence. David said to be absent of the body, to be at home with the Lord. But one day, 
One day, Christ is going to come back, and I'm so excited about our next series because we're going to be looking at this in December and January about Christ's return. One day, he's going to come back. And the Bible says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The dead in Christ, Romans 6, 4 tells us, what that is, how this is accomplished. It says, we're buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too may live a new life. And so Paul, he he brings all this together and he says, I have been crucified with Christ, right? I have felt his sufferings. I have shared in his sufferings in this way. I've given my life to him in baptism. I've received his spirit. I've been crucified with Christ. And so it's not me just living, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I I live by faith. I look to him for every step of the way. I align myself with his will and with his teachings. Every step of the way, every aspect. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what it is to be found in him. I've done so many funerals, conducted so many funerals. And 80% of those funerals are for people outside the church. And I praise God for that because I wouldn't want to to conduct funerals for 80% of the people in this room right now. I'm so glad that we've lost so few over the last 15 years. And those that we have, well, we miss them so, but we're so glad that they're in heaven. We're so glad that they're alive and that they're whole. They're not sleeping someplace. They're not in the ground, but they're whole before God. But I've done so many funerals for people that I don't know, and I have to spend hours. I love to spend hours with their families and try to get their history. And and if you've ever heard one of the sermons or one of the funerals that I I do, it's, it's telling their story. But eventually we have to get to this question every time, no matter how obvious or not it seems. But I ask the question of the family, how confident are you? I mean confident that your loved one had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because almost always, almost always these families are saying, oh, he's in a better place. She's so much better now. She's at peace. R.I.P. That's the silliest thing. Rest in peace. But very few can tell me about that person's relationship with Christ. Yes, they're a good person, but so what? Where's their relationship with Christ? Where's their confidence? There is none because they've never surrendered to him. Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to live like Christ. And what do we do? We see the fruit of that life. Let me just mention a few ways that we see it. Paul said, it's in Christ alone that I place my trust. The apostle Paul trusted him in such a way that the things that he lived through and that he encountered were it not for Christ. He could have never made it. I boast not in myself, but in Christ. I give him credit for everything. I'm just a frail human being who's messed up big time. I'm confident in God's forgiveness. 
I know that God meets all my needs and he will meet all your needs according to the riches in Christ Jesus, my Lord. How does he know that? Because he'd been shipwrecked on behalf of spreading the gospel. He knows that because he had been beaten and flogged and placed in chains as we talked about Paul and Silas two weeks ago. And he'd been set free from those things, right? He says, I want to be found in him when people come looking for me. They find not the old Paul, but they find Christ. And finally, Paul says, I want to persevere. Persevere across the finish line. He writes in verse 11, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, when Paul wrote somehow, he wasn't implying uncertainty or doubt about where he would spend eternity. Rather, this was a way of humbly stating that he trusted in God, that it was God who would complete the good work in him. Not Paul, but God. My beautiful wife, Sarah, she just finished her first 26.2-mile run yesterday in Indianapolis, her first marathon. And she's still able to get up and walk and cook lunch and do all those things she's going to do today, right, honey? Yeah, right. She hadn't had McDonald's in over a month for her training. She said, we're going to McDonald's today. And I said, well, that's going to blow you up. That's going to be terrible. But listen, she's never run that far in her life. And this Christian journey that we're on, it's a journey. Paul calls it a race. And he says, I, I'm committed. I'm going to persevere until God has completed the work in me. You see, Sarah didn't crawl across the finish line. She didn't hobble across it. She didn't have to have a stretcher come and pull her across. But she ran her fastest time in those last two miles of 26 so that she could cross the finish line solid. They, they teach you when you run, don't slow down as you approach the finish line, but you lean in and make sure that you get all the way across it. And, and that's what Paul's trying to relate to us. He says, because I'm so confident in this, that Jesus Christ will stand ready to receive me. He says, to, to be away from the body will be right there at home with God. I, I love the way the Hughes family put together Paul's, um, Paul's uh, obituary, right? It says that Paul has received his reward. He, he stood before God and he said, well done, my good and faithful servant. It happens just like that. Story of a preacher whose wife was diagnosed at an early age with cancer. That preacher spent every opportunity that he had with her. As the years went by and as the disease progressed, he found himself sitting days and nights at her side, just holding her hand. And one day, that wife looked up at him. He had conducted dozens of funerals in his time. He had helped so many people. And she looked at him and she said, what's death like? What will it be like? And that preacher looked back at her and said, you know, I, I, I don't know, honey, but, but I'm confident in this. I'm confident in this. I'll hold your hand on this side. 
until Jesus Christ takes your hand on the other side and leads you home. Friends, that is a great, great day. When you can say with confidence, my eternity is secure. When you can say with confidence that if Jesus Christ and the spirit that lived inside of him could raise him from the dead, and I've been buried with him in Christian baptism, that I will rise too. If you have that kind of confidence, well, then, then you can do the job that you've been given while you're here, and you can do it with confidence because that's the one who's backing you. When you're married, and even if you got married before you had a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you married a scoundrel, you can have confidence that the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells inside of you, and you can change, and they can change, and you can have a marriage together. You can go all the way down the list, but the foundation of our confidence must be in Christ and in him alone. The writer of Hebrews summarizes it this way. He says, therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus Christ, right? What's he saying? He says, because of what Jesus Christ has done, we can be in the very presence of God. There's no longer a curtain. There's no longer a veil. There's no longer an intermediary. You don't have to pray to Mary. You don't have to pray to the saints. You can go right to him. Because we have confidence that we can be right there with him. What's he say? Let us draw near to him. Let us trust him all the more. Let's grow in him in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water, baptism. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope. Let's persevere across the finish line. No detours. On track. For he who promised... He's faithful. When we trust God with our salvation, when we trust him with our salvation, friends, you can be confident in every aspect of your life that you bring into alignment with his word and purpose. Now notice the second half of that. It's not just an automatic thing. Oh, I'm confident because I'm a Christian. No, you can be confident when you bring your life into alignment with what you say you believe. And you live it with the confidence that Jesus Christ could raise you from the dead and he can give you the power and strength to do what you need to do today. That's confidence. And so today's your day. I've already had my moment this week of full disclosure with God. This is your opportunity right now. What's your confidence like right now? Is your confidence in Jesus Christ? Well, why? How? See the foundation? Because if he's not, then your next step is to become confident in him by laying down your life, surrendering your life to him in baptism, being certain of your salvation and then day by day aligning your life with his commands for you, his teaching for you, so that you can be confident in your home, you can be confident in your work, you can be confident in your church, you can be confident in your leisure, having your heart transformed, your body washed, 
being found in him. Let's stand together and let's pray. You, God, you and you alone gave your life for mine. No one else gave their life. None of the promises that are made to us for confidence gave their life for us. Only you did. All of the reasons why you wouldn't, our sin, our, our shameful behavior, you used your very blood to wash it away. What great mercy you have shown to us. Why wouldn't I trust you with my salvation? Why wouldn't I trust you in every aspect of my life? Why wouldn't I want to align my life with your word and purpose? Well, Father, you see our hearts. Bring to the surface right now, Father, if I could plead, bring to the surface our doubt, the underlying issue, that we would be fully seen and known so that we can surrender it to you now. No one else, nothing else in all creation compares to you. We lay our life before you in full confidence that what begins now, you will bring to completion that day, that you come for us or we stand before you in eternity. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Won't you come? Won't you come and surrender your life to him as we sing this next song?